Hey everyone, welcome to episode five of the Retro Football Network podcast. Just want to say thanks to everyone who's listened so far. And if you're new, a big welcome to you as well. If it is your first time, please um, don't hesitate to just click on subscribe. And also when you look at the list of previous podcasts, I'm sure you'll find something that will interest you. I'm really enjoying it and I've been very lucky so far. The guests I've got have been so brilliant and there are many more to come. So because you're here, I really think it must be because you like football nostalgia. So let me tell you about another project that I do. Um, I write and produce content three times per week at retrofootballnetwork.substack.com. Every Wednesday, there's free content. That could be a podcast or an article. And I also produce two other things per week. So you get a minimum of 12 new content items per month. Now, I've got a promotion on that at the moment. And if you take a one-year subscription, which is already reduced, I'll give you an extra six months free when I've got confirmation that everything's gone through and et cetera. So, yeah, so six extra months. So you get 18 months if you pay for a year, which is already at a discounted rate. So imagine this is just like having your own um, retro football magazine because you've got so much content. You also get access to the archives, and there are over 100 items on there. So you can look back, you can read about Barry Davis, you can read about Championship Manager, retro computer games, you can read interviews with authors, you can, there's so much in there to, to dive into as well. Now, last week I mentioned that I've um, teamed up with vipergolf.co.uk. They make some excellent retro football golf shirts and with the code RFN5, so R for retro, F for football, N for network, five, you get five pounds off your order. So we know what's coming soon and it will be here before you know it. It's perfect for Christmas. Some great gift ideas. So check them out, vipergolf.co.uk and use that promo code RF95. Right. So let's let's have a look who I've got today. I've got a guest today that has written a book and the book is called When the Sky Was Blue. And it's because he's a huge Coventry fan. And this book is about his Premier League adventures. I've read the book myself, so this is not just like me just patting him on the back and saying well done and being fake. I read it within a week. I don't even support Coventry City, but I loved it. It's great nostalgia, so I can't recommend it enough to you. So just because you don't support Coventry, listen to this podcast, listen to Rich's enthusiasm, and also just some of the names that he talks about, whether it's Peter and Love, whether it's Marcus Hall, Richard Shaw, Dion Dubin, of course. There's so many names, and he's done a great job putting this book together. And I'm sure that when you listen to him talk about Coventry and the Premier League, you'll get that nostalgia buzz yourself. So so my guest today, as I said, is a Coventry City fan, and he's written this book, When the Sky Was Blue. So it's a big welcome to Rich Chamberlain. Episode five of Retro Football Network podcast, and my guest today is Rich Chamberlain. Rich is an enormous Coventry City fan and also an author. And so today we're going to talk about his memories of his club, but also the book that he's written covering the club in the Premier League era. So this is going to be a very fascinating listen because Coventry City is a team that was synonymous with the early years of the Premier League. So with Rich with us today, we're going to hear a lot about that time. And I'm sure for a lot of you listening, it'll stir some nostalgia. So, Rich, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. 
So let's let's jump into first of all your support of Coventry City. How did it all begin? So um, I my first game at Highford Road was in the 92-93 season. So I would have been seven at the time. Yeah. Um, my all my family were Coventry supporters. Um, we lived over Leicester kind of way, which later down the years when Leicester won the league while we were down the divisions wasn't such a great thing but when I was growing up we were always kind of Premier League Leicester were bobbling about up and down championship to, to Premier League so um so yeah that was my first my kind of introduction at that point um I went to we played Wimbledon um it was the least glamorous game you could ever imagine my first game we, we lost 2-0 against Wimbledon I think there was about 7,000 fans there um it was dreadful but uh kept going back and then you know i think for me and i think probably for a lot of people those years from being kind of you know seven through to about 14 15 when round about when we were relegated i was just obsessed they were my peak years of fandom you know i've always supported ever since but i was just obsessed with the club i was obsessed with the Premier League, you know, it's one of these where I have to have every sticker for every album, every, you know, all that kind of thing. So I was just completely, it was my whole life, you know, before other things came along. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of how I got into it, into the club. And then obviously in the years since we went through you know, relegation and relegation again and relegation again. And then hopefully now on the way kind of back up. But I think for me, when I was looking back, I realised that at the time, and I think fans obviously still do this now, but at the time, I completely took it for granted yeah. that we were a Premier League club and that we had players like, you know, Dion Dublin, Darren Huckabee, all these great players. I just thought it would always be like that. I thought we'd, you know, I was absolutely certain when we went to the Championship, when we went down in 2001, that we'd come straight back up. I just had no doubt whatsoever. And obviously we never came back. Mm. Um, so that was just with the book that was kind of what i was thinking really that i wanted to kind of reevaluate the years and not take them for granted like i did at the time yeah no i can understand that i think um you're not alone in being a supporter of a team that mm. went down and thought okay it's just a blip we'll be back we'll bounce yeah. back and they don't and you've seen that even in non-league football just with Wrexham recently just going back mm. up Teams like Chesterfield, etc., as well. Notts County went down. You don't always come back up, no matter what division you go down in. Yeah. Nobody's got a divine right. But I understand what you mean because Coventry were a fixture of the old first division for so mm. long, and for of course the Premier League. Now, when I first started going to football, it coincided with one of Coventry's great escapes because it was 1985. That was my first season, and they were dead and buried. Mm. Then they won, I think, the last three games. Beat Everton, you're already champions. They hammered them 4 1, stopped up. But that was a little bit of the story of Coventry on and off for quite a while, of course, went into the Premier League. But how did you get bitten by the bug when you lose 2 0 to Wimbledon in your first game? <laughs> was it just purely your age, do you think? And you just thought, wow, this is incredible. It's football. Or was there something that that really attracted you when you first arrived at Highfield Road? Was it maybe, I don't know, the smell, the people? What was it when you have picked such? <laughs> Sorry, no disrespect to Wimbledon, but it's, no. it's not the most attractive fixture, as you said. So why why did you get bitten by the bug at that point? I think it was 
probably the family family yeah. ties you know um i was never going to end up as a leicester fan or a anyone else kind of fan in the, in our household because i had a big had an older brother and my dad both fans so it was always kind of around me and then yeah you know, i guess probably whichever ground i'd gone into first maybe i would have got bitten by it but it was highfield road and it was you know one of those old grounds that had that mm. atmosphere i mean there was only a few thousand in there that first game but even that I think I just fell in love with it straight away, really. And, um, you know, like you said, we were always, for the majority of the time, scrapping down at the bottom. So, in a way, it was always exciting. You know, there's always yeah. something to play for. Um, we were never just, you know, around mid-table with nothing on, you know, nothing going on. So, I think that probably helped a little bit as well. And, you know, we had some good players. We did have some exciting players. And I think, yeah. looking back now, you realise that that I, I don't know. Maybe maybe every team has had these kind of characters and players back then, but we had some big characters, some yeah, exciting sure. players. Even though we weren't challenging up at the top, you know, there were still some good teams to watch. So I think I think it was a combination of it all, really, of the family, of Highfield Road, of the players. Also, like I said, just I just loved football, and that was that was always going to be. It was always going to be Coventry, I think. Oh, that's good. Now, can you remember, perhaps you had to look back to do this. I don't know if you could do this from memory. Can you remember some of the players who started the game or are you like me that could name 1 to 11 from the first game because that's just me being a football nerd? But can you remember who played that day? Some familiar names that perhaps people listening would remember. Oh, well, around that time, um, we would have had um, the light. There's got to be one common name, I'm sure, between the posts. perhaps. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh Oggy and Goal. Um people like John Williams, the flying yeah. postman. Yeah. Um from Swansea. Yeah, you know, the guys like Phil Babb. Yeah. Went on to Liverpool. Uh Brian Burrows, who was full back mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, you know, that around those early early days, then I remember my second game, we we it was not another great one. We drew against Swindon, who I think are still known as they were one of the it was one of the worst seasons for for a club you know swindon and they took four points off us that year which shows where we were but around that time was done like roy Wegerly. yeah of course um, you know so yeah we did have we had some exciting uh, with bobby gould in that kind of first premier league season and the, the start of the second one we were very attacking we had peter and love yeah. Yeah. Mickey Quinn came in. We had for the first season, Robert Rosario, you know, Wegerly. Yeah. It was, you know, John Williams. You know, we were quite an attacking team. When you look at the names on the on the paper, I know that they might not all now be household names who people would all know, but you know, guys like Unlove and at and the time definitely 100 Yeah, And it was a, a team built around a lot of attacking force, a lot of pace going forward. Yeah. It might have been a little bit long ball getting getting it up to the big player you know the big man up the top and flicking it on but it was exciting there was some exciting players well there you've come out with four players there great example anybody who'd never saw them play roy Wegerly was extremely skillful mm. yeah um good at luton good at qpr scored an incredible goal for qpr at leeds and won i think goal of the season with it great skillful player Mickey Quinn was your stereotypical 
penalty box goal scorer. Yeah. Never going to win an award for his physical fitness, I would say. I don't mean no disrespect to him. Mm -hmm. I will pay him a huge compliment was he knew where to uh, where to score, how to score. He knew where yeah. the back of the net was. It's a cliche, but it's true. Um, he scored goals pretty much wherever he went. And John Williams, like lightning, of course, mm. he, won, he won the Rumbelow Sprint Challenge, of yes, course, in 1992 yeah. at Wembley. Um, he was like lightning. And Robert Rosario, totally different, big target man, not going to get you 25 goals, but will do a lot of work, a lot of hard work. Yeah. And as you said, win the ball in the air for the others to, to deal with. So, yeah. yeah. Now, you mentioned a, a name there that I've talked about before on this podcast. Bobby Gould. <laughs> Bobby Gould yep. is someone who has an incredible reputation in football, um, considered to be one of football's great characters. So he was your first manager when you were starting out yeah. at yeah. Coventry. What can you tell us about Bobby Gould? What are your memories of Bobby Gould? Well, just an incredible character, uh, as we know. Um for, for kind of personally with Bobby, I interviewed him. Um, oh God, when would it have been? A good few years back now for the Coventry Telegraph. Uh, I, I did like a week's work experience while I was at uni, so you know, oh, over okay. ten years ago. I think it's two thousand five, maybe it might have been. Um, and they kind of gave me the. It was pre-season, so they they were doing like a, uh, you know, oh here's a list of former players with their, you know, some numbers, give them a ring and and talk to them about what they think about how the club is going to get on this season. And there was guys like Jimmy Hill was on there and oh, Mickey Jin and, you know, some really, really great, you know, Mickey Quinn was on there as well. And one was Bobby Gould. And I even, you know, as I was getting ready to ring him when I spoke to him for the books that, that I've kind of just done, I still remember how enthusiastic he was about the mm -hmm. club. He absolutely loves Coventry you know yeah. and it just came through and the passion that he had was incredible and um and you know hearing about some of his stories and some of, more so I think some of the stories that some of the players had yeah. about him was just was great you know this incredibly passionate manager who in some ways very old school but in some yeah. other ways quite forward thinking you know, Brian Burrows spoke about how he he brought kind of a psychologist into into the club which in you know 1992 I don't think really was that no. common. no not at all um, really but you know then he did these crazy things you know <laughs> he spoke about um pre-season uh before we played Arsenal so this would have been the second Premier League season we had Arsenal the first game yeah. of the season at Highbury so he said he knew that the Arsenal scout was coming to watch one of our pre-season games to see how we set up. So he said, so what he did is he instructed us to change formation every 15 minutes. He said the, the scout went home, yeah, I have no idea how they're going to play. because We just kept changing it. Um, you know, things like that. Things like going to an army barracks for pre-season training, which was pretty crazy thing to do you know or you know for team bonding unfortunately a few things went wrong mm. there you know one of our midfielders lee hurst landed awkwardly uh over one of the jumps ended his career um i read in bobby's book about his son jonathan and they were going through kind of um like an obstacle course where they had gas masks on and he kind of collapsed and had to be you know carried out so not the perfect start to pre-season but very very bobby that it was completely different to what anyone else would have done and 
you know, he got us playing, he got yeah. us playing well. You know, that season, the first Premier League season, we were up in the top, kind of well in the top half. Um, mm -hmm. And then we sold Robert Rosario, one of the players we mentioned, who I think was, you kind of alluded to a minute ago, very underrated player. Didn't score loads of goals, but the work he did, Mickey was perfect for Mickey Quinn. He left and we just dropped down the table, you know, but I think it's one of those, if Bobby could have kept together the players that he wanted, we'd have been, we could have been up there challenging. When you look at the players that he brought in, you know, on his, in his first spell with the club, guys like Oggy, Brian mm. Klein, you know, he built yeah. that FA Cup winning. Yeah. A lot of FA Cup winning team, Dave Bennett, you know, a lot of those guys were Bobby Gould signings. Pierce was as well, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He signed all these guys for an absolute pittance, you know, for yeah. nothing. And then he came back and, you know, brought in Mickey Quinn for, I think, it was a couple of hundred grand, you know, a quarter of a million. Um, Phil Babb came in on the cheap and ended up big move to Liverpool. You know, all these players. I think the thing with Bobby that, that I got from when speaking to the players, you either loved him or you didn't really yeah. as a player from what I can gather, you know, and a lot of them did love him. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong, but I think one or two of this more of the more senior pros, particularly the ones who Bobby hadn't signed, didn't really enjoy his style. Whereas yeah. he really connected with the younger players and with the players who he brought in. And, you know, a lot of them spoke about him being the, the best manager they ever worked for, you know, guys like Robert Rosario, um, you know, a lot of the younger guys who I spoke to absolutely loved him. And you can see why, because he did, he was, you know, I think his man management, he would make them feel absolutely fantastic. And he obviously, he did some really off the wall things as well, which again, you either loved or you didn't. I think, I think with Gould, I think it's what you say is correct. I think he gave a lot of people either the first opportunity to play at that level. Yeah. Because, like you said, Phil Barbie came from Bradford, I think, from memory. Yeah. Um, players like that, he gave them a, a platform to make a name for themselves, which Bab did. Um, and then people like Mickey Quinn, who were perhaps in last chance saloon, really. Quinn had played in the top flight at Portsmouth, scored goals in the second old second division at Newcastle, etc. But... He wasn't really, people weren't, I don't think people were fighting to sign him, despite the fact that he had a good goals record. And yeah, he probably thought, great, he's given me another opportunity. With Robert Rosario, I remember, did he, I think this on to Forrest, did this on to Forrest? Yes, yeah. And at the time, Forrest were desperate for goals, Sheringham had gone, they went down. And people, for, uh, Rosario was a bit of a scapegoat, I think. Mm, yeah, he didn't have the time there at Forrest. Then, and he, they didn't play that way. Yeah. It's not a Brian Clough style of player. Yeah. So he's not going to come in and score the goals that Teddy Sheringham scored. Mm. So for him, it was a little bit unfair because yeah. Bobby Gould was playing to his strengths. Whereas yeah. Brian Clough was probably, because of course Clough was unfortunately on the way out and mm. ready for retirement and struggling. So he was just trying to fit somebody, a body, you know, where it's mm. a top yeah. striker in. And I think Rosario is unfairly judged by that. Yeah. With Rosario, one thing, and again, it goes back to what you just said. One thing that he said was, you know, with Bobby Gould, I think he is something along the lines of he said, you know, he got together a bunch of misfits, players that nobody wanted, young players, and turned them into a team, got them all yeah. playing together, which, you know, is a skill in itself. Yeah, definitely.
which he did at Wimbledon. He did similar at Wimbledon. He, well, yeah. he, I know he inherited players from Dave Bassett, but he did something similar with with Wimbledon, of course, and he won the FA Cup. So yeah, I, I can I can understand that with with that. But of course, um, unfortunately for Bobby, it didn't last mm. too long after that. Once the Premier League began, but. Um, you talked about. I need to talk about that first day of the season, the Arsenal game, mm-hmm. because that's a, for people of that generation, that era. It's a game that people remember because Arsenal, of course, had won the league in '89 and '91. They were one of the big clubs with George Graham. Just won the FA Cup. Just won the League Cup. First game of the season, Arsenal versus Coventry at Highbury. You look at the thing, home win, no problem. What happened, Rich? It wasn't like that, was it? It wasn't, no. I, I remember, I still can vividly remember watching this one on Match of the Day uh, with my brother and then we recorded it and we'd just watch it again and again and again. I'm not the um, You know, Bobby obviously tricked them with his tactics, you know, with the formations, uh, didn't know what we were going to do. Uh, his son, Jonathan, was in goal that day. Oggy was injured. Um, so I think, you know, Jonathan's task was just to get the ball up you know because we knew we were going to be under the pressure so as soon as Arsenal attack broke down get the ball up as quickly as we can and we'd kind of burn them with the pace that we had with you know in love uh John Williams then you've got Mickey Quinn stick it in the net you've got Roy Wegerly to give you a bit of guile up there a bit of skill yeah and yeah Mickey went and got himself a hat trick and I think that when I spoke to Mickey he was saying you know it was supposed to be a big party at Highbury they had the the FA Cup and the League Cup there to parade. Um, Ian Wright, he said, was bringing out his single uh, oh, around yeah. that time oh, yeah. and they had all flyers for that. It was supposed to be this big celebration and we went and beat them 3-0. And, uh, yeah, I don't think George Graham was very happy about it. Well, no, I mean, 3-0 is a comprehensive win, even if you're at home, but this is a way at Highbury against yeah. a team that went on to win the European Cup Winners' Cup that mm. season as well. So, I mean, this is... A good side. Yeah, a good side. This is a, a strong Arsenal side. With I would imagine David Seaman was in goal that day as well. And yeah. a strong Arsenal defence, yeah, a good side. Yeah. And at that point, Coventry started the first Premier League season really well. They won the first three games, first team top of the original Premier League. The season after, beat Arsenal com- comfortably 3-0, first day of the season. A great start. So where did things start going to the point where Bobby Gould was looking, well, maybe not looking to get out, but did yeah. in fact leave of his own accord? I think that, um, you know, that second season, we'd lost um, Lee Hurst, uh, yeah. the, the injury at the Army Barracks. Um, Mickey Jin, who'd been there, the obviously had a FA Cup winner with us, had, had left. Yeah. Um, Stuart Robson, who had been club captain, um, you know, played for Arsenal, played for West Ham. Yeah, he was a really um, good footballer. Yeah, he was, a, you know, he'd worked really well in midfield with and with Hurst, they'd look good together. And then on the opening day of that Arsenal game, he was stretched off and he did his cruciate that finished his career. So, you know, we'd lost the heart of the midfield really at that point. Um, but even then. We weren't doing too badly, you know. We were, we were doing okay. We weren't on a particularly poor run, um, you know. We were still, we were okay. We went, then we went to QPR uh, at Loftus Road, and they th- thrashed us five-one. Um, a really poor p- performance. Um, 
and you know bobby i think he's very heart on his sleeve he's a very all or nothing kind of character and you know there was the story that came out afterwards was that oh the chairman was trying to sell peter in love and bobby had said oh no i'm not having that he's he's gonna go whether we were trying to sell peter in love or not i'm not quite sure you know and love didn't go um uh, you know amazingly with unlove uh when i I spoke, I spoke to the chairman as part of the book and he said we never had a single offer for unlove in the whole time up until he left you know when all that time and you think that you know he linked so much with spurs or liverpool he said nobody ever came in for him so, so that wasn't the case with with at that point with bobby leaving um bobby's side of it was that um these years later was that before the game before that ppr game he said that a few of the players had come to him and said you know playing away playing in london can we stay down in london after the game so they can you know have a night out whatever they wanted to do and he agreed to that and he said that you know we go and lose 5-1 and he said he came in the changing room afterwards he looked himself in the mirror and thought that was the biggest mistake that he'd made because he thought that maybe some players would think had the mind elsewhere during the game you know and he said that for him he saw that as he'd lost the he'd lost them right and he had no choice but to go and go and resign which i think he did in the in the toilets at uh loftus oh, road with the with the chairman um you know speaking to the players i think roy Wegley was saying yeah he was in the shower as all this is happening and he's hearing that he's that he's left you know mickey quinn saying you know, he always tried to see if he'd change his mind but i think bobby's one of those characters that he's once he's made his mind up he's made his mind up so you know fortunately because he's a, a lovely guy and we played some good stuff under him you know bobby left but um he'd certainly left a legacy um uh, with the club you know uh one of the another bobby thing that i'm sure probably a lot of your listeners and you will already be aware of but bobby and, and the circle yes yes he would invite if two players have had an, an argument or disagree and he'd, he'd kind of invite them to get in the you know he'd have everyone else in a circle on the training ground and go on get in there have a have a wrestle or whatever and and fight it out and you know i spoke to a couple of the players from that time i think it was willie boland and tony sheridan both said oh yeah yeah he did that you know with us so he did it once <laughs> And they said, I think it was Tony Sheridan said, to be fair, the two lads got in the circle and just kind of looked at each other and said, we'll just shake hands. Let's just well, get out, you know. <laughs> so they kind of bottled it a little bit. But, um, you know, that was Bobby and he was this huge character. And then, you know, we went from Bobby to Phil Neal, an incredibly different kind of character. Yes. Phil Neal, of course, who was an incredibly successful footballer at mm. Liverpool. But, his reputation was tarnished as well yeah. a little bit because of well more than a little bit because of his association with england as part of graham taylor's setup as well so when when he was appointed was he still part of that setup with taylor or was he just coming to the end yeah so the crazy thing looking back because i was thinking this myself and think oh let's you know checking the dates as i was working on the book and they're very it, similar there must be a similar time yeah well the documentary went out while he was manager Right. coming out in the january um so yeah he was still involved which seems mad now um but yeah so he came in and to be fair to him did did quite well you know he picked us up for the that end of the season you know the 
we kind of went on a few dif difficult runs. I think it, we, you know, it was before Christmas that he took over, and yeah. um, you know, he had a few games to kind of come in and have a go at it and see if he was going to get the job. And we got some good results. You know, Mickey Quinn spoke about, you know, Mickey said, "Well, I scored the goals that got us some good results that got him the job." He got the job, and then he never picked him again. <laughs> so <laughs> Mickey was a little bit frustrated, I think. But um, but yeah, he came in, and we were a little bit up and down, and then we went on a good run towards the end of the season and you know we ended up 11th which it was 22 teams in the league at that point so we were you know one of the julian darby one of the players at that time mentioned he said you know if we were on the top page on on cfax then the first page then we were happy so we were on that first page you know in the season which was a great that's a you know good achievement that's our you know our best uh premier league finish you know uh finishing in that top half so he did you gotta say he did quite he did a decent job but i think the problem was bobby was a huge character looking further on big ron who came next was an even bigger character phil neal never really connected with the no. fans i don't think i think he alienated some of the older players as well like john oh, williams yeah. didn't enjoy his time working with with phil neal you know mickey quinn was sidelined a little bit um but yeah he didn't have that connection you know crowds were were low you know we were well below you know 15 you know i think we were down to you know 10 11 12 000 for for quite a few games so for whatever reason even though we were doing okay it just didn't have that connection maybe it was the england thing mm. and what we'd seen on the documentary uh maybe it was just that he was quite a quiet more withdrawn character perhaps um yeah maybe the, the football probably wasn't as exciting as it had been under bobby or as it would be in the years that followed but he got us decent he signed Dion dublin as well which was one of our best signed became yeah. our you know record premier league goal scorer um so you gotta can't knock him for that really um and you know talking to Dion, he said well phil neil sold it to him sold the move to him you know said he's going to build a team around him so you know we've got there's plenty to to thank phil neil for but i think he he just doesn't he goes under the radar a little bit maybe it's true and also when he said that to dion dublin it was true dion dublin became mm. like the, the figurehead of the team at that point yeah. and and for the next um, number of years i i agree with you i think phil neil unfortunately probably came over as being a bit bland mm. in the documentary and it's a documentary of an hour and a half you can't see the full story yeah you don't know how it's edited people considered him as a yes man because he was saying yes boss a lot mm. but i think if you spent probably every day with the club most people would say yes boss yes gaffer or something like that yeah. so probably unfair yeah um, and you yeah, worry saying, though as well sorry girl, you worry the impact that had on the players Yes, seeing him depicted yeah. in that kind of way, yeah, that can't be a positive thing. No. And and all the headlines about because obviously Graham Taylor came off the worst out yeah. of it, but Phil Neal wasn't that far behind with the the way that he was seen. Like I say, he was just just there like a nodding dog, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. Just a yes boss, you know. So I do think that was probably the biggest hurdle that he that he had to overcome. And I think when you talk about and you've mentioned the name of the man who came next there is no way on this earth that ron atkinson was going to be a number two and a yes man 
I no. think that's fair to say. And Bobby Gould had this charisma, and as you said, the the fans were were buying into it, and it was mm. really good. And optimism, and people were into it. And the Phil Neal thing felt a little bit maybe deflated people a bit with the gates, the style of football. When when did you see that for Phil Neal the the end was nigh? Because as you said, the end of the end of the season, 93-94, they, they went on like I say it was about eight, seven or eight match unbeaten yeah, run. And yeah, they did they finished, as you said, they finished eleventh. It's a really good season. So when when was the writing on the wall for Phil Neal? I think it was a combination of things, really. I think there were some fans that never really connected with him because of the personality. Uh, you know, Bobby Gould like said, was a big character, and also he was a Coventry lad. He had that connection. Yeah. He played for the club. But then there's also the fans who didn't like what was happening under Bobby. Well, Phil Neal was his assistant. So it was yeah. almost, you know, for some, probably they didn't, they wanted a completely fresh change. Of course, yeah. But then obviously they, we went on that good run. In this, the next season, we didn't start well. Um, we never really got going. We were up and down. And I think we, you know, a couple of the players were, had mentioned that, you know, we were on the way down, really. Yeah. You know, we were struggling and you couldn't quite see where it was all coming together. Um, So I think, and I think for the, brian richardson for the chairman i think for him it was more seeing the crowds the crowds yeah, were dropping okay. off um so he thought you know we needed to do something um you know and i don't know obviously we can't say whether we would have stayed up or whether we would have gone down under phil neil but I, I don't think there were too many who were that upset when he when he left without any disrespect to him and then, as you said, Ron Atkinson came in, completely different character. Um, Ron Atkinson, I remember Ron from the minute I first started going to football. Um, larger than life, mm. almost a cliche of himself, a typical 1980s style football manager, you imagine with the jewellery, the, the suit, no socks on, slip-on shoes, cigar style. But with all the charisma he got he produced teams that played really good football to watch not consistent over a full season but good in cups but really you could get your money's worth the only thing i would say about ron as as a manager sometimes when they were bad they were bad but when they were good they were team you couldn't live with T ron atkinson teams when they were on fire when everybody was gelling hard to live with the Rackerson side. It doesn't matter if Manchester United, Villa, Sheffield Wednesday or Coventry. On the day, he could get a performance out of players. No doubt about it that other clubs, bigger clubs, couldn't live with. Um, so going back to when he first came, can you remember or do you know how the club felt going from the the Phil Neal era to, to Ron? I think with Ron, I think it's easy to look at it now and forget how exciting it was at the time you know you look at obviously then after coventry he had a couple of other jobs that didn't really go as well um but at the time he was he was still not just a big name but an in-demand manager you know he spoke when when i spoke to him he said about uh, he was kind of in talks with the spurs job yeah. around the same time but you know he wanted to stay in the midlands so he, he came to coventry so instantly 
added that excitement level you know um it was in his contract um that every uh, every ticket over a certain i can't remember the figure now but over a certain number of thousand fans in the ground he'd get a, you know a couple of quid per head and you know we added 5000 fans on the first game his first home game uh, so you, the excitement was there yeah um you know even i mean coventry we we saw our rivals as villa at the time you know yeah. even though they probably weren't that bothered about us you know they we they were the big one i can't remember a massive amount of backlash about that this guy who was come from the come from villa come to coventry. i can't remember it i was quite still quite young at the time so maybe there was but from what i remember there was just excitement and then when you started seeing the kind of players it was still we weren't spending millions and millions straight away but you know someone like kevin richardson came in for a few hundred thousand who i think is it was a, a bit underrated at, at definitely at coventry i think he did a good job with us um yeah. but kind of gets forgotten a little bit and dion was already there but really got got going under under ron um someone like david burrows uh, I think it was just over a million pounds, which for us, for a defender, was you know silly, was silly money a little bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we started. He started through his kind of contacts and speaking to guys like David Burrows, Richard Shaw, John Solarco. They came to Coventry because of Big Ron. Yeah, they probably wouldn't have come because they we weren't spending big money on wages. Most of them said they took a pay cut to to come, but they came because of him. Because yeah. he had that aura about him, um, yeah, you can see that straight away, you know. And yeah, he set us up to attack. Um, and you know, his thing was he wanted his players and his team to just enjoy playing. Yeah, you know, I think it was David Burrows who said to me, you know, he didn't want to fill players' heads with tactics. He just wanted you to play, play yeah. to your strengths, you know. And hearing about training and a big run as i'm sure we can imagine fiber sides you know were a huge part of it you know um I'm jumping ahead of time a bit here but gordon strachan then came in as assistant manager um and you know a couple of the players had said to me gordon would be there with right we're going to work he'd be taking training he planned all this all these different drills and things and then big run would come out with his cup of tea his shorts on no socks you know and um and say come on then get the five side goals out and said you'd see the life drain out of strachan's face thinking oh we, i wanted us to get us prepared for whatever match was next you know but ron just loved that side of it and you know and i think it was david booth said to me that um they'd have a five side and ron would always play yeah i think he was he'd famous on, for that <laughs> on one team um and but he said you know what wasn't fair was that you had ron on one team and whatever team ron was on gordon strachan went on the other side so you had probably the fittest best player that we had on one team and then they said you know and then you had big ron on the other team stood up front pretending to be del piero <laughs> you know and they said whoever's whoever's team ron was on you knew you were losing and you'd be doing the forfeit at the end of the at the end of the game you know but they loved that they just enjoyed it and i think that was something that uh, that came through for me from those years was the team spirit yeah and i underestimated until i spoke to the players how important that was you know i just as a fan i just think well you get the best players that you can you work with them and train or whatever you know and and that's it but 
the importance of that team spirit and that they they were like a little family you know they all got on they all seemed to get on and they just loved it at the club and even players who went on to what you would probably see as bigger and better things you know Dion or Robbie Keane or George Boateng they all seem to talk about Coventry as some of the best times yeah. of their career you know and I think that's why that we particularly under Big Ron it was just in, so enjoyable and it was it, it was enjoyable to watch but it was also incredibly frustrating to watch at times when we'd have like you said we were either really good or we were really poor yeah. well that season of course was a, a tight thing wasn't it because there were a lot of defeats towards mm. the end of the season there was a run of five defeats in six matches and it, it was looking pretty mm. tense down there at yeah. that point in 94-95 were you extremely panicking at this point <laughs> do you think that they'd run out of lives at this point yeah i think as coventry fan i was always panicky you know yeah. we always seem to have a something around the corner you know um whether it be um you know that season peter and love went to anfield and scored a hat-trick against liverpool in a 3-2 win and i think we you know we went up in to about 11th off the top med um yeah. after that win and then we hit a terrible run and we were all of a sudden looking at you know looking down the barrel a little bit and um you know we had quite a few of those escapes over those particularly in that mid 90s period you yeah. know there was a, a, there was one where we were looking in trouble and then we had to go to white hot lane um we had to play spurs um twice we had to play spurs in big games for relegation yeah. there was one where uh gordon strachan came into the team and completely which is man of the match was absolutely incredible when we got a 3-1 win to kind of get get us to safety um with that one uh, julian darby uh we had in, in midfield he kind of came back into the team for that game and he, he he said to me that you know before that game there was so much pressure and you know we were we were struggling if we lost that one we were going to be in in big trouble potentially yeah. so he said you know to just help put the players at ease ron took them to rod stewart's house to, to go and train in his garden you know as, as what other manager could have pulled that kind of thing off you know no, the, completely yeah and they said well we got there and we just we forgot about relegation because we're like oh we're in rod stewart's house you know yeah. just these crazy things that we seem to be able to do um but yeah there was quite a few of those late escapes around that time um but you know big ron what a character and you know for the for the book um uh, he was one that when i you know i started out with the book and um you know i was i was interviewed i interviewed quite a, i interviewed a handful of kind of players but i knew that well i need your ron atkinson's your gordon strackens i need these yeah. kind of big names if it's going to work really i didn't want to tell the story and have a load of load of the big names missing um, but then when you know when i got big ron and managed to speak to him that was when i really kicked on with it and thought this yeah this could actually work and when i did speak to him for you know he's in his 80s and mm. he remembered every game he yeah. remembered every goal scorer he remembered every little tiny story it was just incredible um 
but there is a uh, there's just a quick story about how I managed to get to Big Ron. If I can share, yeah, that was quite interesting because I can't imagine that he uh, he sits there um, by a pool in Spain with his phone in his hand tweeting people. So I imagine he's not that easy to get hold of. I don't. Yeah. Know. Well, when I started, um, if I just go briefly into the how the book came about, it was last Easter, and you know I was a I was a music journalist previously I I've been a primary school teacher for the last kind of five six years but I'd always thought I'd love to do something like a big project uh, around Coventry and I had this idea and I've kind of offered it out before I'd offered it to like the local paper I said oh I could do this as a weekly thing or a monthly thing I'd offered it to um blogs and you know fan sites just thinking i'll just do it for free because i just wanted to do it i was just interested in doing it and it never really took off um so i just thought i'd read a few books there's some great commentary books um there's one about the mark robbins era uh, by a guy called adam sloman there's one uh, there's a few from this guy jim brown commentary historian about the, the teams of the, like, the jimmy hill days um and there's yeah, steve phelps who wrote some great ones about like the the 87 team but there wasn't anything on the Premier League era, really. And as that was my introduction, that 92-93 season, it made sense of course, yeah. to go back and do that. So I just started messaging players on Twitter or on Instagram and all this thing. I thought, oh, I'll just see what happens, you know. Just I just t- said to them, oh, I'm writing a book. I didn't tell them that I didn't have any kind of publishing <laughs> agreement or anything. You know, I was just doing it. I just thought, well, I could self-publish it if you know it came to it. And... They started just coming back, you know. Uh, Jonathan Gould was one of the first, I think he was the first into your did. Um, Gavin Strachan, Gordon Strachan's son, who played for us. Um, Robert Rosario was an early one. Guys like John Salaka came back quite quickly. So it started kind of rolling. And then Big Ron, um, I knew, well, he had, he's got a Twitter page, but I don't think, like I say, I don't think it's him sat there tweeting. So I tried that, didn't hear anything back. He's got an agent who I tried, but again, that was I think more for you know booking him for after dinner speaking yeah. or that kind of thing. So I didn't have any luck with that. But I, I thought I knew which city he lived in in yeah. the country. So I googled Ron Atkinson, name of this city, and uh, a few things came up. And and this sounds terrible as I'm saying it now. And one of them, it was like a newspaper story. And it said Ron Atkinson of, and then it had the name of a street. So, really yeah so i thought right I, I googled <laughs> i googled um ron atkinson and the name of the street and i looked at the street and i thought there's there's some big houses on that street that's probably where ron atkinson lives so um i i wrote him a letter explaining oh, right, okay. who i was uh i didn't turn up at his door <laughs> you, letter. you didn't phone him out the blue or anything like um that. i wrote in this letter explaining who i was what i was doing put my contact details uh I posted it I put Ron Atkinson the name of the street I couldn't put the number because I didn't know which number no. I the postman if big Ron lives there the postman knows um, the name of the city didn't even have the postcode so I put it in the post thinking I will never hear back from anything on this again about three days later I was I was at work so I was at school uh, it was lunchtime and I looked at my phone and I had a missed call I had a voicemail so, oh, who's, you know, I thought I'd have a listen. Uh, and it's just the end of lunchtime. So, oh, the kids are about to come back in, but I can quickly listen to this voicemail. And uh, it's, uh, oh, hi, Rich. It's Ron Atkinson here. Um, I hear you want to get hold of me. This is my number. 
try me if you want. You might get me, you might not. It's potluck. So <laughs> I put the phone down and the kids are coming back in. I think, oh, I've got to go and teach now all afternoon. I just want to ring Ron Atkinson. Of course, yeah. So I got through the afternoon, straight as suit got out of school as soon as I could, rang him back, and he answered, and we had a oh, probably about an hour and a half on the phone just chatting wow. through all these kind of memories. Um so that was the probably the craziest one for how I managed to get him. But you know, with it, a lot of them, once you get one, it leads on to the the others. Because one, yeah. you know, I think it was Darren Huckabee kind of said, Well, if you get John Salarco and you get Richard Shaw, I'll do it as well. So I went back, got got those two, went back to Huckabee, said, Oh, I've done it. And then, you know, then I can speak to him. And then once you've spoken to Huckabee, you've got a better chance of on Dublin doing it or yeah. Noel Whelan because they can see that all these different people have, have done it um but you know I, I got to this point with it where I thought that it was finished well I thought I'm happy with it yeah and but I thought I'm just going to try the ones who have still got who haven't managed to get hold of I'm just going to try them all again just one last time and I gave it one more week and I think in that last week I managed to speak to Oggy yeah Peter and Love Noel Whelan uh, and Robbie Keane. Fantastic. That was just incredible. You know, I was already pretty happy with it. And, yeah. you know, I ended up getting most of the players that I wanted to get from those years. So, yeah, I'm very pleased to spend the, the thing is as well, um, for anybody listening who wants to, to write a book, your stories are very inspirational, to be honest, Rich, because you're at a point where well, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. I, I want to do it. Mm. I'm going to try it and see what happens. And the point that you did that, what you did with, with Rod Atkinson, and then within two or three days later, he's ringing you. I mean, that says a lot about him as a man that he could just yeah. say, yeah, no, thanks. I'm not bothered. I'm in my 80s. I don't need to do this. But I'm sure that Ron Atkinson still watches football on TV and he's very passionate about it. And I'm sure he sits in front of the TV, analyzes it, moans asks why that player's done that i'm sure he's like that and he probably feels like oh i could still i could do something with that player or something yeah. like that he's underachieving i'm sure i'm sure he's never lost his passion like you said the same about bobby gold um but it's a great story how you did that and as you said like the domino effect of well if he does it i'll do it yeah yeah and i ended up with a thing about 15 interviews uh from it so yeah it just led on one to the other and um you know for me like i say i started it i didn't have any kind of massive plan of how it was going to work i just started doing it and yeah. more for myself than anything else and it just kept going you know i wanted to tell the story of those years but i didn't want it to be just me writing my memories of no i thought really understand that as well who yeah. cares kind of thing you know what i mean it's just it's just as a, a a nobody kind of thing um so i wanted it to be through the memories of the players so yeah not a lot of me in the book really is mainly driven by the interviews yep. which is what i really wanted um and maybe some people think it's it's quite positive i think in a lot of ways um mm -hmm. but that just that was just how it came out that was just the the players were very positive about the the days yes. you know it wasn't one where everyone was there was one or two who had a few things that are in the book of kind of slagging off certain people, but most of it was quite positive, um, you know. And then 
things like there was a few characters in there that, i mean D, believe it or not dion is a controversial character to some commentary fans because he went to villa some still yeah, sure. uh see him as you know oh he, he left he turned his back on the club which to be fair i think i did for a few years um you know growing up because i was only young at the time but then you look back and see what he did hmm. you know but but you know he's such an important part of the story you know brian richardson the chairman is an incredibly controversial character but if you're writing about that those years he was at the very top you know so i wanted to talk to him and just put out you know what he had to say um of you know with him around the sale of highford road and the, the rico as it was and all of that mess is really what tarnished his kind of legacy and i made the decision not to really cover that mm. in the book because it came out it came after the premier league years when we were relegated um so I didn't really go into that and it's been covered elsewhere. So I know that that might be something that people would think, oh, I've got, you know, whether it's I've shied away from it or didn't want to talk about it, but it just didn't, it wasn't in that time period. And I just wanted to stick to those. Well, I think that's fair. I those think years. Fair. Um, when you, when you think about it, as you said, your, your book is about the period in the Premier League from 92-93 season to the final one in 2000-2001. I mean, that's the Rico thing is after, as you said, other people have covered it. I don't think I don't think you've you've shied away from it. I just think, in a way, it doesn't fit everything that, yeah. that's in there anyway. I yeah, mean, I did consider it, but I think yeah, it, I it would be another book in yeah. itself, really. And yeah. there has already been. Um, Simon Gilbert, great journalist, uh, uh, commentary journalist, has written a book about it. You know, I think he's updating it at the minute, actually, with, with everything else has gone on since. Yeah. So that would have taken up so much. And there's already, it was heartbreaking cutting bits out here and there to stick yeah. to my kind of word limit already without yeah. all of that. But I mean, full disclosure for everybody, I actually read the book. It took me less than a week to read it. I don't support Coventry City, but. I'm not saying this to you just to pat you on the back, Rich, but I couldn't put it down when I started reading it. The only thing that stopped me from finishing it so fast is I was falling asleep at night because I'm tired. I could have read it a lot faster otherwise because for me, it threw me back into that time. I was 16 as the Premier League started. My birthday's in August. So 19th of August, 1992, the second, second games of the season, that was my birthday. And so for me, this is something that's so vivid all the way through, um, I was going to games, supporting my team. We got Sky in 93, 94. So then you start getting these last day of the season drama where they were covering more than one game or they would yeah. go over to a game. So if I wasn't at a match, I got to see a lot of these things. And you, you live through it. So for me, it took me back to a time where I still live with my parents, a teenager, great days, not a care in the world. So for me, it was a great nostalgia kick as well. And also, I it really triggered some memories that I forgot about as well. Now, I want to ask you about Peter and Love. The reason I want to ask you about him, you said that Brian Richardson said there were no bids for him. Yet at the time, the tabloids, it'd be a story or something like that. Why do you think nobody came in for him? Because on his day, he looked incredible. Was he just inconsistent? What what was the reason that he stayed at Coventry as long as he did before then dropping down to Birmingham? You know what? I honestly don't know. Um, I think by the time he went to Birmingham, he'd had a few injuries and he'd lost that little bit of spark maybe. Yeah. But he was such a fantastic player, such an exciting player. 
um that i you know if, the, if this was now some one of the big teams would would take him yeah. maybe it was just slightly before the big teams had the huge squads that they would later go on to have so you know now he would go to a liverpool or a man city or some or somebody in the top six and he might yeah. be you know coming off the bench or or whatever yeah um but maybe then it was just there wasn't so much of that uh perhaps i know that graham soonest looked at him um one of our scouts mentioned that he went to to watch and love but i think this is when soonest was at southampton so oh, you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't when he was at liverpool but yeah i don't i don't know why nobody yeah. took a chance on him he was yeah, such a exciting player and you know you think if he was put in one of those top sides he he would have done a great job i think yeah yeah, he's, yeah he seemed to be one of them players that again it's it gets you out your seat you know um exciting player and i'm i'm sure if he was around today where you've got wall-to-wall -wall footage i'm sure on youtube he'd be a youtube star yeah. now with all the yeah. footage available etc so i'm sure that people would love him now in today's world if he was still playing now yeah. you mentioned um white art lane you mentioned the the match in 95 when strachan came in and yeah did the job now if we just jump forward a little bit um to that season 96 97 and strachan was already there he'd been player coach and then there's a change with ron yeah what happened this is, was another controversial one um ron we weren't going great you know we'd not made a great start to the season we then went and played everton and we drew um and by the sounds of it the decision had been made before that game that ron was was going to go um they, they try to i think kind of frame it that oh he was just stepping aside he's going to be the director of football he's kind of moving upstairs and strachan was just going to because the plan was already there that strachan would take yeah. over which i guess was quite an unusual arrangement that strachan came in as a, as player assistant manager when well, he came in as assistant manager and then big wrong convinced him to start playing again um but he came in knowing that he would eventually take over um so the board made the decision that Ron was going to step aside and it was going to happen now. They wanted it to come out that Brian Richardson had said he wanted it to come out that it was all amicable. Ron had decided to move upstairs. Ron's uh, father had been unwell at the time. So I think he was right. under a lot of kind of stress and, and pressures on that front. So that's how they wanted to kind of frame it, but it was leaked to the media potentially by someone else uh in the boardroom potentially uh, allegedly okay. perhaps yeah. you know it was perhaps leaked to the newspapers so ron found out about it secondhand that this was happening um so strecken then kind of took over i think potentially it maybe was the time to change you know we we hadn't we'd been on a bad run um you know we'd we hadn't spent millions and millions like some other clubs have, but we'd spent more than we previously had yeah. um and it hadn't really gelled um like you said we were either Ronak's team were either really good or really poor and we you know we i think the season before i think we only won eight games all season yeah. which you know is obviously you were going to struggle 
Um, mm. So we were struggling again. And yeah, they made the decision. Strachan came in and gave us a bit of a lift. Someone completely different to Big Ron. Again, Things yeah. changed completely, instantly. Yeah. You know, he was, and you know, you speak to the players, and they a lot of them say he was the best coach that they ever worked under. You know, he improved all of the players i've seen darren huckabee he mentioned this i've seen him on twitter saying that of all the managers he's had very few actually cared about making the players better yeah yeah they all wanted to win games and the team to be better but they were not so bothered about individual players whereas strachan wanted every single player to get better yeah. um and that was his big thing you know he was um his coaching and things changed you know the the training i think became much more tactical and and fitness it absolute yeah you know fitness fanatic um which is not surprising given that you know 38 39 he was still the fittest there i would imagine so yeah we came and and that we're into this new era with with strachan um you know we perhaps lost a bit of that fun from from big ron um some of the characters some of those i don't think strachan would have been as keen for the place of some of the nights out that ron <laughs> yeah. encouraged you know there was you'd hear that ron encouraged the players to go on an end of season you know, holiday and he wanted to go with them as well you know? uh, that doesn't surprise me either yeah big, with big ron something that sums him up is that um you know he was he was sacked or moved moved aside whatever you want to see it but then he came back for a leading do. <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, he did that famously at Manchester United as well. I think he yeah. was left on the, the Thursday morning and had a leaving do on the Thursday night. And there was a match on the Saturday. Now, yes. not many players went because there was a game on the Saturday, but yeah, he still invited them. He still called this around. I'm the leaving do. He didn't look at his like, right, I'm driving off with my tail between my legs and I'm embarrassed. He's like, whoa, been, been here long enough. Been here since... 1981 let's have a party yeah so yeah that doesn't surprise me no. at all from from ron atkinson um he's a fascinating character and as you said for coventry a total shift in personality um someone concerned about fitness and tactics more than just go out and enjoy yourself lads yeah, yeah. definitely went out with a game plan yeah and uh, the tracker now the the final match of the season um just put the, just fit the scenario for everyone listening so it's may 97 it's the last game of the season coventry are playing away at tottenham just give us a little bit of build up to what yeah. was happening at that time well this i think you could write a book on this season alone because it was a right. bit of a mad one you know um ron had gone strachan came in we kind of had a bit of a boost you know we, darren huckabee came in so we had dublin and huckabee hits it off pretty much straight away um but looking back at coventry it's not surprising i suppose because we were more often than not down near the bottom we'd put a good run of maybe four wins together and then we'd go and lose six in a row or some yeah. you know we would you'd always have those dodgy runs and we hit a bad run we then uh towards the end of the season we went and beat liverpool massive result we then went and uh, I think three days later, we beat Chelsea in the famous game where Chelsea turned up without their kit. So they had mm -hmm. to wear our away kit. Uh, so we won that one, which put us in a great position. We then went and lost at home against Derby, which put us 
right in in trouble. Um, you can't believe it after two results like that. Yeah, I think that's in you know to talk into the to the players, and I remember that derby game. I don't think I've ever come out of a game as disappointed uh, and possibly one later on in the, in the book actually. But um, you know, we thought that it was not a formality, but that we'd go and do it. We were confident, and then we went and lost against Derby. And I just remember coming out of the ground just absolutely gutted, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Shaw played that day. <laughs> One of the things he said that made, did make me smile. He, he couldn't talk to his wife all the way home because they were supposed to be going out that night. I said, "No, forget it. You know, I'm not going out because we thought we'd blown it. Because yeah. we then went into this position of we had to rely on Middlesbrough and Sunderland slipping up. Yeah, Middlesbrough, who'd had three points deducted uh, yeah. for failing to fulfil a game against Blackburn earlier in the season." And this, is, this is Middlesbrough who've made it to two cup finals. Yeah, this is Janinho, yeah, Ravanelli. Yeah, um, this is not just this is a good side. Yeah, yeah. This, this is a team that shouldn't be where they are in yeah. the league. And you know, this is one of those where I said about Big Ron did spend a bit of money, but you know, Gary McAllister came in for three million, I think he was on about 20,000 a week, which yeah. for Coventry, absolutely massive, even at that we, point, it's a lot of money in that. Yeah. Time period. But, but even with that, you look at Middlesbrough, I think Ravanelli came on 42,000 a week, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they'd spent millions on that team. Like I say, got to two cup finals, so they were a good side. And, you know, you had all these little things, these strange things in that season, like Middlesbrough with the points deduction, yeah. um, like Chelsea turning up without their kit and that game, you know, like the Liverpool game where we were 1-1 as we went into stoppage time, unsure do we stick it in the box do we keep a point because we'd been absolutely battered by liverpool that game we stuck it in the box and managed to get the winner so we you know we built it and built it and then that derby game was so deflating so we went into having to go to white hart lane to play spurs on the last day needing two of the teams to get you know to to slip up we were so you know so stacked against us um and somehow we went and went and did it went and went and got a but even that we went two nil up and then spurs scored just before half time two one so again your nerves are jangling there's yeah. a lot of um controversy controversy because we kicked off 15 minutes late yeah. um which we had done years before there was the thing with Sunderland and we played Bristol and again Sunderland involved <laughs> yeah Sunderland were involved again um so there was that whole element to it um so we had the the final 15 minutes but really didn't make a great deal of, deal of difference because we needed to win still you know yeah. we knew for the final 15 minutes we needed to win but well, we needed to win, you know. Exactly, exactly. We, yeah, it wouldn't have it was like to play out a draw. We had no. to hold on, and and uh, you know, I, I think Spurs went for it because Oggy had to make a few great saves in that yeah. last 10 15 minutes. And you know, and if, speaking to guys like Oggy, those some of those relegation scraps were as big as the FA Cup win, yeah. you know, to, to keep Coventry in the Premier League, it was absolutely massive, and that I think. Yes, obviously there was the one that you spoke about earlier, eighty-five, where we had to win the last three. That problem, that maybe that one might never be topped. But this one for me, because of the other teams that we needed to to slip up, and 
because it was so far against us and that we've just managed to do it uh that's a massive one for me such a uh, that is a great memory from from that time and it's one of those that that was probably one of those that i took for granted yeah. that the final whistle probably blew and i thought oh what a terrible season that was you know <laughs> we were nearly relegated whereas if we did that now you know if if luton did that this season say or sheffield united you know stayed up on the last and the last day to be celebrating and rightly so and i think that's what i wanted to do with the book to almost go back and reevaluate those years because i just saw it as that was a bad season you know we need yeah. we nearly relegated you know yeah. if we went up now and stayed upon the final day we'd be celebrating so you know that's that was a big thing for me and i think also as well what happened next also perhaps made made it easier to take things for granted because things started to improve mm. the following season um in fact it was the last game of the season a team's going to go down if things go wrong but it wasn't coventry it was yeah. everton, everton. Coventry playing yeah. everton it was a 1-1 draw and it was completely the opposite it wasn't coventry trying to stay up it was coventry just part of a match where the other team in fact had to yeah. get a result so it reversed completely yeah um, so that season was really positive for coventry and one of the things that sticks out of that season and mustn't be forgotten because mustn't be forgotten because it was a world cup year is the form of dion dublin because yeah, he's on dublin on that plane to yeah. france 98 <laughs> no disrespect to les ferdinand one of the greatest strikers of the premier league but he didn't have the best season that season no. dion was fantastic you know dion should have been in that squad for me he was top top goal scorer in the premier league and he didn't yeah. get to the world cup um you know i don't know he could play in defense as well if he needed exactly, to yeah exactly could have dropped in at center back if necessary as with yeah. the crisis so he had his versatility penalty taker as well yeah so that would have changed things as well yeah could have done yeah I, i'm a i'm a big believer in sometimes you have to pick form sometimes over reputation because the momentum and confidence and he was coming out of that season buzzing yeah. Whereas, like you said, Ferdinand had had a couple of good years at Newcastle, but then left, gone to Spurs. It didn't really pick up the same as when he first went to Newcastle. So, yeah, I, I think um, Dion was a great shout to to be on the plane and to to be part of it. And unfortunately, um, Van Hoddle didn't think think so. No. Um, now, of course, we're coming to the end of our chat which means we're coming to the end unfortunately of coventry's time before we did that there's two people that i want to mention that were incredible signings that came after the world cup and they came from morocco of course haji and chipo yeah. or chipo um i actually had a conversation about these two players randomly to a friend who's family from morocco and he was talking about it and they just like they were held in such this high esteem in Morocco because they were playing in the Premier League, and that was enormous thing back then. Yeah, for these because it was unheard of, and so they were like hometown heroes back in Morocco. So when these players signed, it must have been considered enormous. And of course, I can't not mention another big name that signed, but didn't last very long. Of course, before going off to Real Madrid. Tell us about a very interesting transfer involving Robert Yarny. Well, um, 
where did you start with Robert Yarner? Yeah, so he came in um, for, I can't remember the thing, 2.6 million, I think it was off the top of my head. Okay. Um, came in, came to a preseason game. Uh, everything looked the part in a Croatian international, exciting signing yeah. to come and play on the, on the left. Semi-final of the World Cup. Yeah, very exciting player. Um, but within a week, two weeks, he'd, he'd gone. He'd gone off to Real Madrid. Um, there was a lot of talk about, oh, it was some kind of gentleman's agreement that they didn't want to sell to another Spanish club, so we came to yeah. us first. That Brian Richardson, the chairman at the time, completely denied that and said it was his wife that mm. did not... <laughs> When she knew that Madrid was an, an option, Coventry suddenly didn't seem quite as appealing. So mm. she was on the phone to him uh, saying, no, we need to we need to get this deal done. So I think um, his club kind of rang Brian Richardson and said, oh, the deal's off. Yeah. He's going to Madrid. Brian Richardson held out and said, well, no, we've already done it. And we've, and we've already sent you half the money and we're going to send you the other half now. You know, we did it there and then by the sounds of it got it rolling so that they, were, they couldn't really do anything so he then went out and negotiated with Real Madrid and we ended up I think with a eight or nine hundred thousand pound profit for a week or two weeks work mm. with him um in, I don't think he I don't know if he ever put a commentary shirt on um but yeah the one that kind of got away um yeah. one of those murky transfers as people see it but from yeah. what the club say it was just he signed and then changed his mind yeah it, happened. Uh, it can happen yeah especially if a bit of pressure from from the wife who says yeah. i don't fancy this yeah so you got you got the two the two moroccan players yeah how did you, how did you see those when, when well i mean that time really strachan had built this exciting team with dublin and huckabee uh, and George Boateng, George Boateng, I think is an underrated player. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic. I think you know people look maybe as late looking at him at Middlesbrough and or Villa and see him like defensively minded perhaps, but yeah. he was so exciting. He played left wing for us sometimes. You know he was so such an exciting player. He arrived at he was a right back and he just ended up all over the place. So we had this exciting team that Strachan had built. Um, Dublin top goal scorer that season. Huckabee got 14 league goals. You know, Dublin then is sold, goes to Villa. Um, the end of that season, Huckabee is sold yeah. uh, to Leeds. Um, so really, we're thinking, what's going on? We were waiting for someone to come in and replace Dublin, and we've gone and sold Huckabee as well. Yeah. So Strachan has to rebuild, rebuild this team again. So yeah, the Moroccans came in. Um, you know, after Haji, uh, you know, African footballer of the year, you know, excited mm. him for four million, which again, big money for us. Um, but he's one of those who's exciting. But for me at that time, I hadn't seen a massive amount of him. You know, mm. uh, at that point, we still, we still football that you know wasn't as much as it would be now. Now, no, it's not more. But hadn't didn't really know him as a player at that point. Um, so they both came in and they were just fantastic. They were so exciting. But but even so, we made a poor start that season. The first three games, Wimbledon, Leicester, Southampton, we didn't get a win. Um, and then Robbie Keane, yeah, arrives. Um, you know, six million 
ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> really. Uh, one of those ones where John Gregory had looked at him all through the summer, wouldn't go above five and a half million. We went and got him for six million. You know, I think it helped that Mark McGee was the Wolves manager and Gordon yeah. Strachan was really good friends with like, Mark McGee. Made, so like, a link. And, you know, Robbie apparently spoke to Strachan and decided, yeah, this was a good move for him. And it turned out not a bad move for him because he, you know, he was fantastic that season, and then he went off to Inter Milan at the exactly. end of the year. And, and more profit as well for Coventry. Yeah, yeah, came for six, went for 13 million. You know, and I remember his debut against Derby. Um, you know, he scored twice, he scored one goal from a ridiculous angle. Um, and I remember coming out of the ground and someone behind us saying, Well, let's just see how long we can keep him for. <laughs> Enjoy it while it, and it, it was it was 11 months, and that was it, yeah. he was gone. Um, yeah. but such such an exciting player, uh, you know, just but then that was the season where we were absolutely incredible at home, but we didn't win away all no, year. Not one, not one victory, not one win. I think we, we won 12 out of 19 uh at home, but away we just could not get a win. Incredible, isn't it? When you think about it with the players yeah. and the, the form that yeah. we had yeah, Cedric Russell came in that season as well who yes, uh, away away in the summer and you know i spoke to cedric for the book and just such a lovely guy um and so enthusiastic about the club and and the time and, and you know you forget what an impact he made in a short space of time you know he came in and it was absolutely fantastic and then he had spurs looking at him he had arsenal looking at him he had newcastle looking at him so you know what it, it was it was a great time that season to be a fan and you know Strachan will get a lot of stick because we went down the following year but he built that Dion Dublin Darren Huckabee side which was incredibly yeah. exciting he then built this team that was only together for a season with Hadji and Keane you know, but was again such a great team to watch you know my memories of the club they're some of the best that that year why did it finally go wrong in the end? Why did the look run out in that last season, 2000, 2001 for you, Rich? Was well, it a case of they just couldn't keep fighting fires because, or was it a case of, like you say, the players left? Yeah, I think there was a couple of things. Um, Gary McAllister had the absolute season of his life yeah. in that fight, in that season. He was incredible. Um, and he went on, went on to Liverpool. Yeah. Losing him was massive, was absolutely huge. And that's one of those ones that you think you lose him as a player, but then speaking to the other players, his importance just around the place. And, you know, um, he knew when to slow a game down. He knew when to do this. He knew when, you know, he was such a big influence. He's the captain, you know. Losing him was that, I think he, that was probably the biggest thing, to be honest. Um, losing Robbie Keane was absolutely massive as well. Yeah, and then you look at the, who we brought in as replacements. Um, David Thompson came in yeah, from Liverpool, Liverpool, who was a really good player, um, and he he did he did okay. So he was one of the most exciting players. And when we went down, he was he did great for us. Um, but he was different to McAllister. You know, he was obviously more out wide on the right. We didn't yeah. have anyone in that in the middle. Um, another thing, Craig Bellamy came yeah. in who went on to have a fantastic career but he was coming in off the back of cruciate ligament injury yeah 
never got going really for us until John Hartson came towards the end of the season. I think he only scored six goals for us all season. Um, he's another very controversial one because he didn't really do it for us. And then he was very negative about the club after he left. So he's not held in high regard by no. fans. So I think really with the book as well, when I was speaking to players, I was expecting them to lay the blame on Bellamy a little bit, but they didn't. They spoke about, no, he was a great player, but he just couldn't get fit. Yeah. You know, he, uh, or, you know, he was trying to do it all on his own because we yeah. didn't have those players around him until Hartson came in. So I think it was that, it was the players. Um, and Strachan said that, he said it about recruitment. And, you know, he said that's his down to him. You know, he was the one who brought these players in and they it didn't work in that season. I think Strachan was also tired. Yeah. He, after the, I think it was the fourth game of the season against Newcastle, he offered to resign. Right. He okay. said that he, some, maybe somebody else needed to come in. He needed a break. You know, he'd done everything. He'd been the player, player assistant, and then manager yeah he'd gone straight into it had no real rest had he? yeah he'd had kind of four or five team. years of just solid you know and i think he's that character he threw everything into it and he he yeah. kind of said maybe i need to step aside the yeah. chairman and maybe his wife talked him around maybe maybe that was the time the time when we could have had a change yeah um i think as well we conceded a lot of late goals that season yeah um I think Strachan maybe saw that as a fitness issue from talking to some of the players. They did a lot more fitness work. Some of the players said they were tired and, and it became a mental thing. Yeah. You know, the, 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 losing, yeah, losing late goals and they just couldn't get out of that, that, that you know, that kind of cycle of it. Um, yeah. And we had inconsistency in defence as well. We had Magnus Hedman and Chris Kirkland, two really good goalkeepers, but they kind of, we're in and out. Yeah. The defence wasn't settled. You know, we had midfielders playing at fullback, or we had a you know a left back playing at right back, or the other way around. You know, we had um, Richard Shaw, Gary Breen, and Paul Williams centre halves, um, but we never really had a settled partnership right. that season. So I think there was a a combination of things really, um, and then John Hartson perhaps was the one to come in and save us but it took forever to get the deal to sign him over the line because he'd had he'd failed a couple of medicals before you know things were coming up on his medical and yeah. it just took it dragged on and on and on and we ended up getting him but it was just that little bit that little bit too late and then again we did that thing that commentary thing of we looked like we were picking up and then we we dropped back again you know there, there was yeah. some Bad, you know, Ipswich, I think that was the season where Ipswich had a great season and yeah, George Burley. They did, yeah. And they beat us home and away. And, you know, that was one of those. I remember the home game, we lost 1-0 coming away from that. It was quite early in the season, but it was one of those where you think, well, I mean, you know, this is going to be a tough, a tough season. So I think it was that combination of things that it was just, we just ran out of that little bit of luck. Yeah. Um, when you were writing about it, was it quite sad at the end when you finished that part off with the relegation? Was that quite a sad end to... It was a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I considered putting that chapter first. Oh, as like, yeah. Let's get this out of the way. Um, yeah. But in the end, I didn't. I did it in kind of chronological order. Um, it was, but I think enough time has passed 
that it was okay. To be honest, when I spoke about the FA Cup quarter final that we lost against Sheffield United a few years before that, that I'd almost accepted the relegation that season because it was coming. Things like that, that FA Cup quarterfinal. I, as a kid, I was convinced we were going to win the cup that year, and then we went and lost to Sheffield United on penalties. And I, you know that, that that memory was a horrible one. The relegation, I think I'd kind of accepted it. Um, but you know, I think really with the book, there were so many nice memories in there, things that that I didn't really know at the time, or you know, there's things about transfers or you know players that. You know, I find this kind of thing fascinating. I've read mm-hmm. books about, you know, Everton or, um, you know, all these different clubs about them in the 90s. I just find the 90s really interesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Middlesbrough in the 90s, or, you know, uh, the Derby in the in that period as well. I've read all these different books. I just find these years interesting and hearing about the kinds of these ins and outs. So to hear about, you know, nearly signing Lee Bowyer for Coventry or, or uh, Freddie Lundberg mm-hmm. um, yeah. being one that was touted as we you could go after or Strachan going and watching Rude van Nistelrooy and these things. Yeah. I just found it fascinating to revisit it. And I think that massively outweighed the the negatives yeah. for me. Um, you know, it was there just... are a lot of positives in the book. And if anybody is listening who supports Coventry, it's a must read. And if even if you don't support Coventry, I think I can't recommend it high enough, Rich. You've done a great job. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. I'm saying it because I enjoyed it. Um, and as I said, for somebody who loves 90s football and loves the Premier League in that era, it's a great step back. You don't have to support Coventry. You just the names, as you've already mentioned yourself, they're just there. And it's just it's a real look back at that period, a time where football was changing drastically but it still was a lot different than it is today yeah um you talked about highfield road highfield road for me is one of those places that you would call a proper ground in inverted commas i went there and i thought it was great um as a visiting supporter for me places like that i don't want an outside of town place where you've got fast food restaurants and things like that highfield road if anybody's been to remember is all terraced houses around it and shops that were boarded up but it had character and it was highfield road it wasn't the same ground as five other places in the in the league so brilliant i really appreciate you coming and sharing your memories and telling your stories and telling us about the book um just tell everybody when where they can get the book tell them the title etc etc just one last push on your book rich because it deserves it Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's called When the Sky Was Blue, uh, which was kind of based off a song that was uh, played regularly at the ground at that time. So it's When the Sky Was Blue. Uh, Amazon's probably your best bet, um, really. It's probably your cheapest as well. It's got, always got a few quid off on that. It's, um, you can get it on Kindle as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, Garrett, you know, I really appreciate you having me on. And it's an absolute pleasure to talk about it, really, and talk about those those years, you know, and relive it. You, you, you forget even as a fan, the big characters that we that we yeah. had, you know, there's that, so many. And so it's been it's been a massive, it's such a pleasure to to kind of work on it and and kind of go through it. I imagine, and as I said as well, anybody who wants to write a book, it's inspiring to listen to. You can do it. You you can put the work in. You can get the people. The people will listen. 
people will take part, as you did with all these ex-players and, of course, managers as well and the chairman. They were uh, open to talk about things, things perhaps they've never spoken about publicly as well. So you did a great job also to get those people on board and not just write like a diary of the season, yeah. but to get those comments and those people to, to engage with you. So great work. Thank so, you. Good luck for the future for you personally. Good luck as well for Coventry for the Sky Blues because when, of course, talking a bit about modern football, when they're in the playoff final it's Luton, I felt as a neutral there, wow, this is this is proper football back. Luton, Coventry were yeah. top flight clubs when I first started going with for many years. So it, it felt good and unfortunately one of them had to lose and it had to be Coventry. So... Thanks very much, Rich. I really appreciate you spending time with us and telling us you about your book and sharing those stories. Brilliant work. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Rich Chamberlain was a great guest there talking about his book, When the Sky Was Blue and Coventry City in the Premier League. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but time's moving fast. So check out his book. Gives Rich some support and, yeah, take a step back in time and relive some of those um, great stories and a lot more because he, he didn't give us everything. So check out the book, give Rich some support and you won't regret it. Thanks again for the support today and for listening. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't done already. And also check out Viper Golf. They're going to give you £5 off their order with RFN5 as the code. And as I said, if you subscribe to Retro Football Network, dot substack.com i'm going to give you 18 months for the price of 12 so i'm throwing offers at you as well okay hope you enjoyed it see you next time have a great great day bye